You're listening to the Wanderlust Swingers Podcast with Aussie hosts Kate and Daryl. If you're curious about exploring your sexuality or the swinging, hot wifing and non-monogamous lifestyle, you've definitely come to the right podcast. Or maybe you just love travel adventures. Either way, we share our personal, sometimes juicy, sexy stories as well as swingers club and event reviews, interviews with other sassy people and of course our global swinging adventures. We try to bring you a look into the diverse lifestyle that the swinging and non-monogamous community has. We hope you enjoy. Now let's get into the episode. G'day everyone and welcome to a new episode of the Wanderlust Swingers podcast. I know we have been a little bit MIA lately. We bought a house, we've moved five times in a couple of months. And then we traveled and I also was in the US for like three weeks, traveling around, attending a We Got A Thing event, hosting my own Libertine events in Portland. It has been absolutely hectic. Today's episode is part of our newly released health series. Over the next few months, we are going to be interviewing a number of health experts within the non-monogamous lifestyle space. This is going to include things like today's episode, sexual health, STIs. We're going to talk about mental health, physical health, all of the stuff, women's health. This is all coming to the Wanderlust Swingers podcast. We're going to sprinkle these in over the next few months because I wanted to spend some time focusing on health within the lifestyle space and trying to bring you guys actual experts and sexperts in the field. So it's not just Daryl and I rambling on a podcast. So I hope that you enjoy this first part of the health series. I'm interviewing Robert from Shameless Care. Now, Shameless Care, of course, is the security sponsor for the Libertine Events Miami event coming this October 2023. And we're really happy to have them on board. They are a lifestyle health organization by people in the lifestyle. So supporting us through erectile dysfunction medication, as well as STI testing within the United States. Also coming up in the episode, I have Dr. Stoa, who's actually an OBGYN in the lifestyle herself and is going to walk us through some of the medical side of things in terms of ED and SDI. So that's what's coming up on today's episode. I really hope that you guys enjoy this upcoming series about health in the swingers lifestyle. Thanks for sticking around, guys. Please do feel free to leave us a podcast review if you like the episode or drop us an email, email at wanderlustswingers.com. If you've got any questions, any feedback, want to reach out to Shameless, want to reach out to Dr. Stoa or would like us to cover a topic, please feel free to drop us an email. But that's all from me. I hope to talk to you guys very soon. Daryl and I are going to be back Back with a new episode. <laughs> it's called uh, Two Men and a Tiny Robot. So that's coming very, very soon. We're going to talk about our Dutch friends here finally on the podcast. And uh, we've got some other things coming up too, including anxiety for me at a recent event where I was feeling quite overwhelmed. So you guys aren't alone if you're attending events for the first time or even like me, eight years into the lifestyle. These are all really healthy, common feelings that we have. So without further ado, here is the episode. I hope that you guys enjoy it. G'day everyone and welcome to a very special episode of the Wanderlust Singers podcast. I'm joined by not one, but two very influential, very important people. And yes, we are going to be talking about a really important topic today. We're talking about sexual health. We're talking about STIs. We're talking about erectile dysfunction. So joining me on the line right now is Robert. Robert is the founder and director of Shameless Care, a lifestyle health organization by people in the lifestyle for people in the lifestyle. This organization focuses on erectile dysfunction and comprehensive STI testing. Robert has been in the lifestyle for 15 years, guys, with his partner and is currently based in Chicago. Welcome to the podcast, Robert. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, we're going to be talking about some absolutely important topics in the lifestyle today. And we would be nowhere without our health experts. I mean, I'm just one person. I'm an Aussie sitting in the Netherlands right now, but our health experts are really where it's at. So I'm also joined by Dr. Angela Stower, who is an OBGYN, chronic pelvic and sexual pain dysfunction specialist based in Texas. I was just there. Dr. Stower is a member of the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health and is passionate about education related to the alternative lifestyle and narcotic-free surgery. Welcome to the show, Dr. Stower. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. Now, important to note, guys, before we started hitting the record button here, I asked Dr. Stower what she was passionate about, and we revised the education related to the lifestyle because Dr. Stower, you mentioned education to not just the attendees, not just the human bodies in there, but also the, the medical side, the medical practitioners helping out in the alternative lifestyle. I, I just wanted to give you a shout out because I absolutely love that. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, there's um, actually very little education about alternative sexual lifestyles out there for medical providers. And so 
trying to give them as much information about how to take care of these patients in a non-biased setting as I can. Right. And I think so many people are, you know, change, not just alternative lifestyles in the, t- in the sense of non-monogamy, but people are really changing their sexual identity, you know, ways that they are coming forward, how they are identifying. And I think some of these conversations, particularly as it pertains to STIs, sexual health, you know, we're talking about the, the bits and the bobs and the birds and the bees and everything like that. I think it's really important to keep up with understanding how people are presenting in 2023. So thank you for for doing the hard work on the ground there. Oh, thanks. Appreciate that. Now let's get to know the people on the phone at the moment. Robert, you've been in the lifestyle I mentioned before for a whopping 15 years. You have probably seen some massive changes in the lifestyle. So straight off the bat, I'm just curious what you think the biggest change that you've seen in 15 years. Well, that's a great question. Neither one of them really have much to do with our topic tonight, but it's, it's the truth. And one is much more of a focus on consent. You know, it used to be 15 years ago, you would get a new club membership tour here in the United States at some club in Chicago or Los Angeles or something like that. And, and the tour guy would, would say no means no. That was kind of the beginning and the end of the consent talk. And now there's clubs doing consent instructional videos and all sorts of really neat things about explicit consent, which is not touching anyone at all unless he was specific specifically asked and, and gotten a verbal yes. So I think that's just absolutely nine day difference over the past 15 years. And the other one are the uh, amount of men who identify as bisexual. Uh, now, I have no firm statistics on this at all, but I do know that a local club here in Chicago now has um, 87% of men identify as either bi-curious or bisexual. And I never saw anything like that 15 years ago in the lifestyle. And I have to think that people's preferences really have haven't changed. They just feel more comfortable being open about now, which is fantastic. I would tend to agree with that, Robert. What you just said there, preferences haven't necessarily changed, but they're more comfortable because what we see out here in European clubs versus the United States is really night and day in terms of bisexuality and men engaging actively and openly with each other in clubs here. So I, I agree with everything you're saying. And I love the fact that people are now feeling more comfortable in clubs in the United States, especially that they can be their, their true authentic self. So thank you for sharing that. Dr. Stowa, over to you. Tell me why you're passionate about erectile dysfunction, about medication, about libido, and all about the downstairs bits. What has led you to that? Why are you so passionate about it? I have a lot of unusual passions for an OBGYN. Um, as far as the libido goes, I've always been really interested in how female libido works because it's a lot more complicated than what it is in males. There's definitely some interest there for sure, as well as all of the hormones that go into kind of creating female libido. As far as erectile dysfunction goes, the biggest thing that I think I have about erectile dysfunction that I think is interesting is um, actually being in the lifestyle. My husband and I, we've seen a lot of men have issues with erectile dysfunction only in certain situations. And that just fascinates me. So knowing that there are things for sure that can be done about it. And as far as like just the downstairs bits, I love how you put that women's genital area, as far as like how it functions, how it works, how it can be fixed in times that it's non-functioning. I have been passionate about that and interested in that since like medical school. So I just find all of it really interesting and how it all works together with the what we call in medicine, the biopsychosocial model. There's a physical component, there's an emotional component, a psychological component, and they all kind of work together. And I'm actually going to talk to you about that very soon when we start talking about ED. I have an interesting question I want to ask you about that. So I, I love that. And coming in and living in Singapore really taught me a lot about, you know, I said the downstairs bit, I was I was being a bit uh, facetious there, but I mean, we, we say pussy, we say vulva, we say vagina on this show, we we say penis, we say cock, we say all the things. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> in, uh, in in Singapore in particular, uh, they have a lot of vaginismus down there. And it was just really interesting and culturally for me to also start understanding about how, you know, shame and people's bodies are working in different places around the world that they may have different things that, that occur in their bodies that the prevalence there is significantly higher than, say, Australia or, or Europe. And uh, so I definitely share your passion for, for that side of it. I'm always intrigued as to why this and not that or how come and not over there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I Vaginismus is actually one of my favorite things to treat because there's such a big component of the psychological involvement and we're able to make really big steps in people's lives. Um, one of the things that we typically talk about in my area of expertise is that being able to function sexually is actually considered a marker of health. You should be able to be breathe. You should be able to eat. You should be able to walk. You should be able to have sex. It is a marker of like normal functionality as a human. So, 
being able to treat patients with sexual issues is like my favorite. Definitely. It sounds like it. Now, we have, guys, some massive topics to talk about today. Like I said, we're going to talk about erectile dysfunction. We're also going to be focusing on STIs. So these are really big topics. Of course, we can't cover everything in today's podcast episode. We may come back and revisit some of these topics with you. So please do send us feedback, send us your questions. We're here for it. We do have two very different people on the line here. We have a medical specialist on the line, as well as somebody who's been in the lifestyle 15 years, running events, running clubs, and now has shameless care. So we're going to tackle this from multiple angles, but let's just jump right in. Erectile dysfunction, we know, is the inability to get and maintain an erection that's firm enough for sexual intercourse. Most people would kind of know about ED erectile dysfunction. What I wanted to say is that it's really common both inside and outside of the lifestyle. And I think we need to talk about it more because it is extremely important. It is a little bit taboo. People are still a bit nervous to have this conversation. I read today that ED affects men at about 10% of per decade of their life on average. So therefore somebody in their 50s, 50% of those men are going to experience uh, ED, yet only one quarter of men seek treatment. That was really interesting to me as I was getting ready and preparing for this episode. So with that in mind, I'm going to dig right into it. So Dr. Stoa mentioned before about it being some psychological, some mental, some physical stuff. So is it really all about the member? What part does the brain actually play on erections? And why are men performing with their partners and then bam, they're getting into the lifestyle, they're entering an orgy, they're going to a swingers club and things go south and not in a good way. Yeah, literally things are going south. So it's not just about the member. No, the, the penis obviously um, needs to be able to function. I always joke around with my patients who are all females that, that men's sexuality is is really uncomplicated. They need a, the ability to have an erection and a partner that's naked. That's like it. The thing I don't dig into my female patients about is the fact that being able to have an erection in males is actually somewhat complicated. You have to have the right, right blood flow. You have to have the correct set of like hormones going on. Everything needs to be functioning physiologically. But then on top of that, there is a huge psychological component to erection in men, just like in women, in order to feel comfortable enough to have an erection, a man needs to feel comfortable in his own skin, comfortable that he is able to produce what needs to be done during sex. He needs to feel comfortable with the people that are there in the room. He needs to feel comfortable with his member's ability to function as well as its size. Guys who are like super self-confident in like every other area of their life can walk into a lifestyle situation for the first time and cannot get an erection. And it is 100% psychological in those situations. So yeah, it's not uncommon for men to be able to perform just fine with their partners and then enter a situation that feels uncomfortable and And do you think that stigma of maybe talking about this or, you know, you mentioned that people there have, you know, they, there's a bunch of different sayings. Like you said, you know, guys, this need, a, you know, they just need a naked body and a heartbeat or, you know, guys will fuck anything or, you know, there's all of these kind of sayings. And do you think some of that leads to the fact why only a quarter of the men experiencing this actually seek treatment because of the fact that we are placing not only a taboo on this, but we are making the assumption, like you said before, being a body that's healthy is also able to perform that we are somehow removing the masculinity, removing who they are as a human and diminishing that because, hey, they should just be able to turn up and fuck. Exactly. And 100% absolutely. It is definitely still a taboo thing. I think it's similar to the vein of what you were talking about earlier, that men are now getting more comfortable with saying, hey, I'm bisexual. They've never had a difference in their actual preferences. They're just comfortable talking about it now. The fact that there's still a really big stigma with erectile dysfunction, so much so that there's like jokes and memes about it. You know, my husband and I even joke around. We call really big muscle cars with like the big vroom vroom engines. We call them eds. My kids don't know what that means, but we're joking around about the fact that a man who owns that kind of a car obviously has something they're compensating for. And, you know, bad on me because it's absolutely true that it is a taboo thing to admit that you're not functioning sexually as a male, even more so potentially than as a female. Well, a lot of the time we talk about the fact that, you know, if women are having, uh, you know, issues or even just body changes, menopause is a big one for this, but we can, you know, fake it till we make it. We can grab a bottle of lube. No one's really the wiser. Whereas guys, they are, it is, it is literally just out there for everyone to see, you know, and I think that's why there's such a massive difference in how we approach 
whether or not our body parts are considered working, whether they're doing a great job, whether they're kind of mediocre at best, you know, and I think as, as women, we have the ability if we wanted to, to hide that. And I think that's why a lot of women don't necessarily come forward about certain things that are happening in their body. And we're going to dig into STIs and stuff later, but men, it is just absolutely on a showcase. If you're in a, if you're in a swingers club, if you're at a lifestyle event, there's really no hiding that, right? Absolutely not. It is hard to miss if a man's having trouble maintaining and or getting an erection in a sexual situation like that. I can only imagine how embarrassing that must be. Right. Now let's change pace a little bit. So we've heard about the medical side of it, but Robert, 15 years in the lifestyle, you've run events around the USA. You've been a club owner. You must have noticed a lot of men having issues performing. I'm curious how, what you've noticed, how you may have helped your community feel more comfortable talking about ED issues. If you've really noticed any kind of, you know, has there been any statistical changes or have you noticed any changes in how even people are talking about this similar to, like we said earlier, the bisexual uh, changes? Have we seen anything in the ED side? That's a very good question. So, you know, we started promoting before we started Shameless Care years ago, we started promoting another ED subscription service really because this is such an issue and the men in our club are really young so imagine that someone is like a 27 year old man he's still getting erections even when he doesn't want them like at work and things like that those times have long since passed me by at my age now but but I remember what it was like to be in my in my early to mid 20s and it, the thing is just going off all the time and so having erectile dysfunction in a swinger club is just the last thing that they think is ever going to happen but it is such an interesting situation where and anyone who's ever who's ever tried to have sex at a hotel takeover or a swinger club or something like that can really tell you like all the distractions going on. You can hear people having conversations. You can hear other people having sex. You can hear the dance music still going. You're trying to get intimate with someone new. And oh, by the way, your partner is probably getting fucked right beside you. And you've never, ever seen that before. And it is just like a million things going off. If you stop and think about it, it's a wonder any men can get an erection without medication in a swinger club. So we started promoting ED medications, you know, years ago, because I just wanted men to have a better time. And it actually, believe it or not, reduced conflicts in our club. Because if we saw two couples enter a playroom and one couple comes kind of storming out, you know, 20 minutes later, obviously in a fight, I can already tell you what happened. It wasn't jealousy. It wasn't, oh, you've never made those noises for me before. It wasn't that kind of stuff. Almost always it was that his cock didn't work. And he didn't react well to it because it is sort of a, uh, a shocking situation, to say the least. It's kind of something the last thing they thought was going to happen and then suddenly becomes sort of their worst nightmare. And so that's why we started promoting it years ago. And I do think that it's become something that is people enjoy talking about and particularly the women enjoy talking about it you know, in our club as well. So you asked the question, why don't men seek treatment? And I think first, it's really important to discuss the downside of men not getting treatments. So I think that men almost always do seek treatment. What they'll do is they'll go to the gas station and they'll buy some sort of dick pill, over-the-counter dick pill. And, and I have absolutely no idea what's in those things, but I'm, I'm guessing it's not terribly good for you. Or they'll borrow medication from their friend or they'll buy illegal medication online. And all of those things can be really quite dangerous. And now that I actually run a telemedicine company, I can tell you that about 10% of our patients are denied medication from the physicians because they're on some sort of other medication that would make these drugs dangerous or they're just not healthy enough for them in general. And so you definitely don't want a situation where men are kind of out there shopping on their own and just picking up whatever they can or borrowing it, you know, from a friend. And the other thing is that, especially for men in the lifestyle, you know, if somebody goes to their local family physician and says, doctor, you know, I don't have any problems with my wife at home, but I was in the orgy room the other night. And there's just, there are a few doctors that are ready to have that conversation. I'm sure there's some out there, but I think that uh, what a lot of men try to do is kind of hide their lifestyle from their doctor, which you shouldn't do, but a lot of men do. And they'll say something to their doctor like, well, you know, doctor, I'm just getting so nervous anymore. I'm having a hard time getting an erection. And those men are just as likely to leave their physician's office with an anti-anxiety medication prescription as they are ED medication. <laughs> 
So bottom line is people are getting more comfortable with the idea of ED medication and lifestyle. Certainly, uh, we need to be encouraging men to get competent treatment from their healthcare professional and get drugs from a U.S. pharmacy so that everyone can be safe. You did a fantastic job answering that, Robert, so much so that you actually busted into my hot seat question. I'm gonna, I'm still going to try and figure out how to put you on the hot seat, Robert, so you're not getting out of it that easy. But funny personal story about those fake pills that you see at gas stations and stuff. The last time Daryl and I were in New Orleans, we went to a local sex toy store there and they had those like uh, just and they're ridiculous they're like over the top coloring over the top marketing there's like a little pill in the packet and there was one for a female one for a male and we bought them and we came home and we recorded a podcast episode one day where throughout the episode we were checking in on each other like is it doing anything yet is it doing anything and this was supposed to be like you know this is making him like gorilla rock hard and like me just like wet like a fountain and all these ridiculous uh you know marketing ploys and uh, let me tell you both pills did absolutely jack shit so who knows what they're in that what are in there I, like i said sugar pill no idea we for science uh tested them out on ourselves and I can hands down say that they did nothing for, for either of us. That's really funny. I saw a package, one of those one time, I think it was actually just like on the sidewalk in Las Vegas or something like somebody had obviously taken it and then just thrown the package out the car window or something, but it showed a guy, of course, these are cartoons and the guy was looking very strong and masculine and sort of proud of himself. And he's standing right next to a woman who is dead. Like the, the idea was that she had been fucked to death. Like that was somehow the, that was somehow <laughs> the marketing that they came up with for these uh, guests. I want to be a fly on the wall in these marketing meetings where you're sitting around a table and somebody just, you know, they, they table this idea of like, I've got it, you know, necrophilia. That's the direction that we need to go in with the marketing. Like that's, that's, gonna, that's what's going to put us at the top. That's going to hit the mark for us. You know, just the insane. <laughs> <laughs> now, on our episodes, we'd like to have people be put on the hot seat. Now, the hot seat is where I ask you some questions and I'm really kind of pushing the boundaries a little bit here and I'm going to put Dr. Stower in the hot seat first. So, Dr. Stower, my question yeah. to you is, should men seek medical care through the use of medication or should they be trying other things first like diet and exercise? Oftentimes when we present uh, symptoms to a medical professional, they will look at the cause of the issue and try to find some generally alternative method of treatment. And I know that you mentioned earlier the narcotic-free surgery. So I'm kind of interested on the hot seat what your position is on men seeking medical care. Which direction should they go? Should they be walking into their physician or should they be going online straight away and saying, I need rectal dysfunction medication? What are the kinds of questions that they should be talking about, asking? Let's put you on the hot seat. What are your thoughts? I'm going to answer yes to both of the questions, as in you should be seeking medical care and you can also do things outside of medical care. It's never going to hurt to exercise for like anything. It's good for your heart health. It's good for your bone health. It's good for sexual satisfaction. Um, someday we need to do a whole thing on just why sex is good for you. We've got all sorts of things in that list. But being on the side of trying to do things with the least amount of medications, there are some things that actually have studies on them, oddly enough, that do help with erectile dysfunction as far as like herbs and supplements go. Diet exercise, yes, can be helpful, mostly not necessarily for the erectile dysfunction itself, but for the psychological component of I like how I look in my skin. I feel comfortable naked in front of other people, which can be causing the erectile dysfunction in men. As far as like supplements go, there's a handful of supplements that have literature on them. The safety looks like decently good. One of the bigger ones that's probably got the most amount of literature that I'm aware of is DHEA, which is basically a component in both testosterone and estrogen. So when you give DHEA, it's kind of like the building blocks that helps your body make the types of hormones that you're needing. And it does help with libido in women. We do have lots of data on that. And it may also help erectile dysfunction in men. And it's ridiculously safe to take that. There's a couple of others like ginseng, I want to say, and maybe like carnitine, which a lot of like bodybuilders take, oddly enough, seems to help a little bit with erectile dysfunction. There's maybe a little bit of a caveat with carnitine because it, it can cause some issues with like mild blood pressure function. And you want to make sure that you're doing that like safely. Some other ones that have a little bit of data on them, but not potentially enough for us to say, hey, this is completely safe, like Yohimbi. But there's a lot of supplements out there that people like have tried and have looked into, uh, like ginkgo biloba, et cetera. And we don't have a lot of data on those. And those can actually be kind of like scary. Um, ginkgo has a blood thinning effect. And, and people who have blood pressure issues, hypo or hyper blood pressure, you can have pretty bad side effects related to that one. So 
There are some herbs, there are some supplements that do have some data on them. I would definitely look into seeing your doctor and asking them about those particular herbs in your particular situation. As far as medications go, I'm always like a big proponent of ask your doctor. And I'm also a big proponent, as Robert said, of telling your doctor about your lifestyle. Your doctor may be a little bit shocked on the front end, but a lot of times after a a little bit of like adjusting to the idea, they'll look up stuff for you. Hopefully they'll find my website and look into what they need to be able to provide appropriate care for people in the lifestyle. Um, One of my friends always jokes around, there's three people you never lie to, your spouse, your lawyer, and your doctor. It's always good to share that information. Medications for erectile dysfunction do typically work infinitely better than anything else we can provide. And if they're safe for you, i.e. you're not taking medications or have medical problems that are contraindications to taking it, then yeah, absolutely. Medications are probably going to be the best bet for significant improvement, especially when the concern is more of a psychological component. Like I perform okay at home with my spouse. I do not perform okay in public. So guess what, Robert? It's time for you to actually join the hot seat now. So I had some different questions for you early but you did a fantastic job answering them i'm actually going to dr stowa just move over just slightly so robert can get a cheek on the hot seat here because i'm going to get you to join in in this conversation Uh-oh. dr <laughs> stowa just mentioned that you know turning up to your gp sometimes like we said earlier and having this conversation of like i can perform at home but i can't hear and leading that with then maybe some stigma some biases you know these sorts of things at shameless care then How do you make sure that your doctors, that if I was going to go online right now and set an appointment and do my virtual appointment to get my medication, how how are your doctors briefed on this? What do they know about the lifestyle? How do you make sure that, you know, they truly are understanding the other person on the other end of the, the virtual meetings? perspective? Well, everybody on our medical team has certainly reviewed our website and has gotten a brief from me personally about now I I can't interfere with their medical decisions. Obviously, these are all independent contractors licensed in their states and what they say goes in terms of what they choose to prescribe to somebody or not. And I certainly don't interfere with that. But what we do talk to our medical team about is making sure that they are supportive of people's lifestyles and very receptive to the things that, you know, people tell them and that they understand that anxiety can certainly cause erectile dysfunction. That is one of the key things. I know we're going to talk about STI testing later, but the biggest one that we struggle with on our medical team is talking to them about the reasons for throat swab testing with STIs. And that's actually why we started the company is because, and that's why I love uh, the doctor's work so much about educating healthcare providers because that's the whole reason why we started the company was there seems to be a shortage of physicians in the United States that understand that component of it. I think everybody basically understands the ED side of it, but the STI side of things, especially with throat swabs and oral sex, seems to be where the the missing link is in the healthcare industry at the present time. Well, thank you both for for answering those questions. I really appreciate it. I have a little personal story. Dr. Stower, I'm not sure whether you have seen this, even yourself, uh, you mentioned before that you're in the lifestyle with your partner as well. So I actually went six months of being with a gentleman who were unable to perform in the bedroom and this was a couple of years ago now but it really gave me you know after I think we all kind of understand that like we said before we understand the pressure that that people are in we understand that there is a, a lot of new data sets of information that's flying around whilst you're trying to perform and I think then uh, you know I have a responsibility as a as a female in the lifestyle to make sure that I'm you know being understanding that I'm supportive where I can be we all have this responsibility of the men in the lifestyle to make sure that we're not you know pointing a finger and kind of laughing or anything silly like that um, but I honestly can say as as a person who fully understands that responsibility after six months of uh, being with men who can't perform and, and my partner performing with their spouse, I really was having a is it me moment towards the end of that. You know, the, the, this is like six months, six months of different men and there must surely be something wrong with me because at that point, all of the data was leading to one thing. You know, I was the common denominator in all of these things. But now having read information on this, you know, read the, the 10% over the decade and reading that only a quarter of men seek treatment, you know, it definitely helps me to understand a little bit more about getting out of my own head. And really, it isn't about me. And Dr. Stoa, have you had those similar circumstances in, in your lifestyle journey? I'm just curious. Oh, gosh, yes. I don't know if I've ever gone for a full six months without having someone that was able to perform. But I definitely have had people that I've been with and everything has gone just smoothly when we were just threesome or, you know, me with a, a hall pass. And then when we get to like a house party, they can't perform. And 
I'm like, okay, well, it shouldn't be me. It's got to be the group play. Something's wrong with that. And then the next time that I'm just with them alone, they're having trouble again. And I'm like, okay, maybe it is me. I've had that before. And that it's, it is to some extent disconcerting. And I know as a female, the natural reaction is always like, I must be doing something wrong. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not performing well enough to get them hard. But I know as the medical provider, and I sometimes have to rein my own self in to say, you know what, this is a common thing. Make sure that he's feeling comfortable, make sure he's feeling safe, do everything right. And if it's still not working, do your best to make him feel just as awesome about the situation as you possibly can. So don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. This happens all the time. My husband has this happen with partners too, and trying to help, you know, talk the newbies through it without them feeling bad about it themselves. Yeah, it is an important topic. And I think sometimes the reaction of the other person is as important as having these kinds of conversations about potentially seeking treatment. You know, that reaction, there's so much responsibility on that person because you know if we do point with shame if we do lead with that shame or guilt or things of that nature um you know making them feel like oh what's wrong with me and then they're trying to then say nothing 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 you're you're fine you're beautiful etc there is an element of responsibility there so super important to talk about Let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about STIs now because Robert you just did a fantastic kind of lead in there STIs uh, something in the lifestyle and, you know, I'm, I'm on social media, so I get a lot of <laughs> negative feedback. And one of the first, you know, uh, pe- things that people like to try and drag me through the mud with is like, oh, she's probably riddled with STIs and there's still so much stigma around it. And I honestly think on a personal level that the stigma exists because people are just not educated around STIs, treatment, protection, etc. So interestingly, more than 110 million people in the USA right now currently have an STI with 20 million infections occurring each year, new infections. Non-monogamy, as we know, it's a potentially risky lifestyle choice. That's another question I get often, you know, about, well, how do you manage this? And I always lead with the fact that this, you cannot remove the risk unless you are practicing abstinence, right? What we can do is mitigate the risk. We know this, we know it. the best job to do is mitigate the risk through protection and regular testing. Is this enough? You know, can we ever truly remove the risk? Are we delaying the inevitable? So we're going to talk about STIs with Robert, with Dr. Stoa. Let's just get into it. I'm going to come back to you, Dr. Stoa. As an OBGYN, you must be seeing your fair share of vulva owners who are suffering from things like BV, UTIs, trike. And I'm curious about what kinds of advice you would give to the ladies who might be noticing something new down there, whether it's a smell, touch, sensation. And when should ladies seek treatment or seek help? I do see my fair share. I have a lot of patients in the lifestyle that are um, coming to me for care in my practice, as well as seeing a lot of other women that just suffer with chronic UTIs, chronic BV, et cetera. Uh, I will say that bacterial vaginosis and UTIs for the most part are not technically sexually transmitted infections. The reason I say for the most part is there are two different bugs that can at times be considered sexually transmitted because they pass back and forth from partner to partner. They typically aren't given to tertiary partners, but if a male gets, shall we say, colonized with them, he can pass it back to his female partner. As far as trichomonas goes, though, trick is uber common. And a lot of patients have trichomonas and have no clue. It's one of those bugs that kind of grosses me out because you can have it for like 30 years and give it to all sorts of partners and never know that you have it unless we look for it because a lot of patients are completely asymptomatic with it. So trichomonas is definitely kind of a, a an interesting one. It's the most common STD that most people have never heard of. As far as women noticing something new down there, always go to your gynecologist. If you've got a funky smell, if it doesn't feel right, if you're having pain, especially if you're having pain, always go to your gynecologist, to your primary care doc and let them know something's off. There are a lot of different things we can test for. And there's plenty of treatments for pretty much every different type of sexually transmitted infection, et cetera. There are some we can't get rid of, but they're definitely ones that we can treat for the most part. So seek help anytime something's not normal down there. So you just said that trike is really, really common and yet mm. people don't know they have it. Why Why don't they know they have it? Why aren't we testing for this? Why is it that, you know, it's, it's, it's not really a known thing and then people aren't able, because for me, if you're not testing for something, if you can't figure out what's going on in your, in your body or geez, in your life for that matter, you then can't put any kind of solution in place. And whether that's to remove it, 
completely, if you can completely treat it or whether it's an ongoing treatment, you know, for the situation, for the issue. So what's going on there? Why, why is it so prevalent yet we don't know about it and we're not, we're not treating it, we're not finding out about it? Yeah, trichomonas is really prevalent partially because a lot of people are completely asymptomatic with it. Both males and females can be asymptomatic for years and years. So if they had sex once at age, you know, 20 per se and caught trichomonas and they've never been symptomatic with it, their partner when they were 23, the next one when they were 24, and then their marriage partner when they were 27, they get into the lifestyle at 30. They still have trichomonas and nobody's looked for it. And now they're finally, after two or three house parties and a you know place downtown and maybe a cruise or something, finally getting STD tested. And they finally suddenly find that they have trichomonas. And then at this point, we have no clue how long they've had it, who they caught it from. And if they've never been symptomatic with it, they don't necessarily have they've never necessarily thought to be treated for it. So that's one of the biggest problems with trichomonas. The other problem with trichomonas is because it doesn't cause a lot of trouble. Uh, gonorrhea and chlamydia typically cause symptoms in most patients, although not always, they can be asymptomatic as well, but they do cause issues with discomfort pain, increased risk in pregnancy for preterm labor, that sort of thing. So people think to look for gonorrhea and chlamydia. They're the ones that everybody knows about. People think to look for herpes. They think to look for HIV because they're the big guns. But things like trichomonas, they're really common and they can be symptomatic in one person and not in another. So it's one of the things we definitely should be testing for. Most OBGYNs will think to test for trichomonas, but I will tell you, not all of them do. And a lot of primary care docs I know have never thought to test for trichomonas. And that kind of leads me into what I was about to just mention. Again, a little personal story, but you know, as I'm thinking about the different places around the world that I've lived in Australia, in Singapore, Croatia, here in the Netherlands, and I've also been tested in the United States if I've been living there for a while or traveling, you know, extensively through throughout the US. And I, th I think back to the list, you know, when they give you a list and they say, what do you want to be treated for? Some people sell packages, some people sell it ad hoc, you can buy it a la carte, etc. And thinking about some of these, these testing mechanisms, you know, I'm thinking back to Singapore, especially when you went in to get tested, they tested for, I think, HIV, maybe chlamydia, maybe gonorrhea. And that was basically it. You know, there was no herpes testing, hepatitis testing, HPV, none of that was on there. You had to specifically seek it out. And certainly I never remember trick being being on there, you know, at all. So I think that, you know, for for us in the lifestyle, I think one of the, the takeaways from me from this conversation is truly what is actually being tested. You know, it's something that I always say online, like, is it really comprehensive testing? I mean, you can say to somebody, I'm getting tested, but does that really matter if you don't know to what level? You know, if you're getting tested for just one thing versus, you know, a a plethora of things, they're not all made equal, right? And so I think that for me was a real uh, awakening moment when I started to travel, when I started to see how different countries, different organizations approached this. I realized quite quickly that maybe some of these conversations I'm having, like they're good conversations to have, what's your testing regime? Are you getting tested? But, you know, if I'm paying for a comprehensive full panel testing and I'm getting that done and I've got a lot of assurances my side, maybe my partner doesn't, ha you know, my partner in the lifestyle isn't doing that as well. Yeah, that is a really big problem. I mean, even just in my personal practice, I'm one of five partners. The other four don't do the same testing panels that I do. Right. Do people push back on that? When you're recommending more comprehensive testing, do they say, well, but my doctor down the road only ever tested for HIV and you know gonorrhea. Why do I now need to do all these additional tests? Yeah, I, I get pushed back on it a lot, actually. Um, I typically try and describe to the patients why I'm wanting to do the testing, and then I let them decide. A lot of patients, honestly, it's insurance coverage here in the good old United States. Insurance will pay for gonorrhea and chlamydia up to a certain age, they'll pay for full what I call full panel testing, which includes hepatitis, syphilis, herpes, and HPV if you're doing a pap smear, plus gonorrhea, chlamydia, and trichomoniasis. And that would be including mouth and vagina. That's typically covered up until like age 24. After that, you have to pay for it. It may be a copay, but still, if there's a copay for seven different things that I'm screening them for, that can add up in the US. And a lot of patients are like, well, you know what? I'm really just with my spouse. They're saying they're not with anybody else. I haven't had another partner in two years. Let's just skip over it. And then we skip over it. I'm not going to tell them that they have to do it because they're the ones having to pay for it. Now, patients in the lifestyle, they're usually pretty easy to talk to about that type of testing and they're all they're all for it. They want to know for sure that they don't have anything. The biggest problem is when 
someone else is providing the testing, another provider, and their quote unquote full panel doesn't include herpes, which is super common, even amongst OBGYNs, they don't test for herpes and trichomoniasis, which is another one that like, hey, you know, well, yeah, it's, it's pretty rare. Let's not test for that one. They may leave out hepatitis B. Oftentimes HIV gets left out of STD testing panels just because it's super uncommon amongst the general population. But when you dip into certain pockets of the population and the lifestyle, the risks go up. Wow. Yeah. It is really widening of what we consider to be full panel. You know, you, you might be listening to this episode and you might be thinking, well, I'm doing the right thing. You know, I'm going and getting tested. But I mean, just this conversation right now makes me wonder, you know, well, geez, you know, what, what was the actual last test I got here in the Netherlands? And was it fully comprehensive? And what did they potentially try to leave out? And, you know, I think, yeah, we do carry certain risks in the lifestyle. So we are a very different set of people than your average, I guess, uh, you know, 20, 30, 40 year monogamous couple. And that's to say that there is no non-monogamy happening that is unethical and that they don't know about. So before I shift gears, I just wanted to mention here, while I was researching for this episode, I just wanted to mention that it is estimated that 20 to 30% of women with vaginal discharge have BV. The prevalence can be high as 50 to 60%, especially in high-risk sexual behavior populations, which I would classify the lifestyle as. So uh, again, as Dr. Sowell mentioned, if you feel like you need to go and see somebody, please do, please go and get uh, checked. But let's move over to Robert now. So Robert is an event planner, club owner, and now the founder of Shameless Care. My question to you is what responsibility do club owners have? I run my own events as well. What responsibility do we have to inform our members of STI dangers? Well, I think something that's really important here is that I I don't know that people like to be told about their responsibilities. They sort of bristle at that. So I'll make another argument for anybody out there right now who might be a lifestyle host or that sort of thing. And that is that sex is really, really fun and it's really, really important. And we live in a very awesome time when it comes to STIs. Kate talked about STI rates increasing and things like that. The truth is that we live in an age when all of them are either curable or treatable for the most part. And that wasn't true 20 years ago. And so it actually is a really great time to be alive, a really great time to be having sex. The testing, although, you know, we've talked about the issues and and why the term complete panel and things should go away, but it is really kind of a cool time. What I often tell people, club owners and things like that, is you know who's in the door, you know who is coming to these events, but I can pretty much guarantee you that the number one reason why people aren't going and aren't living the life that they want to live is because they're really concerned and afraid of STIs. And everybody should respect those risks and learn about them and things like that. But it's not nearly as dangerous as what people think. And we actually have a guidebook on our website called the Guidebook to STIs and the Lifestyle. And I think anybody who would read that book, and it's written by our medical director, I think almost anyone who would read that book would would leave that reading feeling much better about STIs and much better about the lifestyle than they do going into it. So I know most people sell STD tests from a fear mongering point of view, for lack of a better word, but we almost take the opposite approach because we are so, so sex positive and just want people to live whatever kind of lifestyle they feel comfortable with, with having all of that information. And I do feel like the more information people have, the more likely they are to go to a hotel takeover or a uh, hedonism resort or something like that. So I feel like the more we talk about it as club owners, the better people are going to feel, the better testing they can get, and the more they'll go out there and, and be their authentic self. Absolutely. And guys, if you're interested in getting your hands on that guidebook, I'll put the link in the show notes today, but it is very simply shamelesscare.com. So the link will be in the show notes for you guys if you want to go and check out that guidebook. Uh, I'm going to make sure I get my copy of it uh, right now. After this conversation, I'm going to say to Robert, Robert, hey, send me a personal copy of that. So I would like to do a follow up on that and, and talk a little bit about what's what's in there just to see if there's something in there that I need to educate myself on. But I, I love your approach, you know, not fear mongering, but more about the positive side of, hey, Hey, sex is fun. The lifestyle is fun. Let's have a lot of fun, but you know, whilst being aware of what's what's potentially risky. And I mean, we can say that about the lifestyle in general. Like, you need to be aware of the financial impact. You need to be aware of like time away from your family, your kids, your dogs, etc. So, you know, I see it as just kind of another piece of information that we we need to have in the lifestyle. Okay, let's now put you back on the hot seat. Uh, I'm going to start with Dr. Stoa because we just heard from Robert. Then, Dr. Stoa. About testing and testing for both partners, if you are with a primary partner or if you're in a poly quad or a tryout or however your partnership turns up. My question is, do we really need to get tested every three, 
36, 12 months? And how much does our lifestyle activity really play a part in our testing regime? And to give you an example, I sometimes hear from our listeners that, hey, you know, we didn't really play very often this six months or this year. So we're, we're stopping our testing. Or some people say they're going to go every three months, but they're going to alternate between the spouse to the next spouse, etc. So is there a right or best way to get tested? Uh, let's talk about it. I would love to say that there is a right or best way to get tested because I love absolutes. But to be completely honest, there is not a lot of data on frequency of STD testing in the lifestyle specifically. I typically recommend to my patients that if you're in the lifestyle, you are behaving in regular intercourse with multiple partners. That would put you in a higher risk category. The higher risk categories typically when we come to research involve patients who are 24 and under. So earlier I was talking about 24 and under in the United States, they get full panel testing, quote unquote, and that's covered by their insurance company. It's because patients under the age of 24 are typically more likely to be in multiple sexual partner situations. Lifestyle people kind of fit into that category. We may not be 24 years old anymore, but we're having the same number of potential sexual partners as somebody in that age group. So I recommend to follow the guidelines for people 24 and under. Those recommendations are currently to do at least every 12 months, depending on how often they're engaging in intercourse and how many partners they have. Now, beyond that, there's not a lot of data. My personal recommendation is if the one extreme is somebody who's abstinent, they don't need STD testing, they aren't exposed to anything. The other end of the spectrum is people who are participating in paid videos for pornography. Pornography actors are typically required by their companies to test every one to two weeks. So those are like the two big ends of the spectrum. I would say people who are like, hey, you know what? We have one tertiary partner who is not with anybody else as far as we know, quote unquote. They're probably okay to get tested once a year. If it's someone who is going to a house party every weekend, occasionally hopping on a bliss cruise and maybe going to Hedo, it's probably worth testing more frequently. Whether that's, hey, we just went to Hedo or we just do the cruises or we just do a house party every now and again, get tested like two weeks after your party. If you're someone who has the occasional other partner who has other partners who have other partners, probably a good idea to get tested somewhere between three and six months. I do have a lot of patients, my husband and I also do this, that we tur take turns doing the testing. I get tested and then three months later, my husband gets tested and we just take turns doing it that way because the only people that we don't use protection with are each other. Everybody else, we use protection. Um, there's very rare situations, although all of us in the lifestyle know it happens where a condom comes off during sex or someone's unable to get a condom on, or you know, it doesn't happen very often. But getting tested fairly frequently is probably worth it. The other thing that I know Robert is like itching to talk about is that most of the time when giving oral in the lifestyle, people are not using protection for that. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen someone give a blowjob wearing with a condom. Like, because I don't know that I've actually ever seen that in a lifestyle situation. It just doesn't happen. And men giving oral, they're not using dental dams for that. I'm an OBGYN and I've never even seen a dental dam. I don't know what the darn thing looks like other than in pictures. So if you're giving and receiving oral and that's like your primary version of sexual functioning within the lifestyle, you're definitely going to need to be testing your mouth. Gonorrhea, chlamydia, trichomonas, herpes, HIV, HPV can all be caught and maintained in the oral cavity. So we definitely want to be swabbing the mouth, swabbing the throat, because those things can cause all sorts of trouble and they can pass from partner to partner via the mouth. So you give oral to one guy and then two hours later you give oral to a woman, you can transmit chlamydia from his penis to her vagina. So it's really important if you're very active, get tested more frequently. If you're not as active or your partners are fairly contained, you probably only need testing once a year. Again, a lot of that is just my personal recommendations because we don't have a lot of data on lifestyle testing frequency. I will say what we do have data on, and I think this is fascinating, is you're actually more likely to catch a sexually transmitted infection if you're cheating, so non-ethical non-monogamy, than if you are ethically non-monogamous because people in the lifestyle are much more commonly using protection, whereas people who are cheating on their spouses are typically not. Preach. The, the dental dam 
comment that you made it was it just reminded me our, our first ever club that we were visited was in Sydney, Australia. It's called Our Secret Spot. It's a fantastic club there. They had dental dams because I'd never heard of a dental dam. When we got in the life before the lifestyle, I didn't know what a dental dam was. And we were in the club and I saw the dental dams and I was like, what the hell is that? And I've seen, never seen a person using it in that club. They provided them, good for them. Um, but the usage, uh, I can just imagine that uh, they're like doing stock take and they're like, well, guess we're going to throw out another packet of dental dams and buy some replacements because they're just expiring. <laughs> appreciate appreciate your response. Uh, Robert, going to jump over to you right now. We've spoken about comprehensive testing, about, you know, full panel testing, all these types of things. My question to you is like, this is this is not cheap. And I can imagine that the, the cost of infrastructure for you to move forward and set up shameless care, I assume this is going to be extremely high for you to spend all the time and money doing it. So my question is, why did you go to the trouble to set up shameless care as an alternative to perhaps existing home testing companies or your local GP? Like what actually caused you to get out of bed one day and say, you know what, I'm going to put a lot online here and I'm going to create this company and and let's see how it goes. Well, uh, what caused that was I, I had a case of gonorrhea that I'd know about, but before I get to that hot story, <laughs> I, I do just want to go back to the conversation about the prevalence of STIs in the lifestyle. So I don't have firm data on it. And when a patient gets an STI test from us, the communication between them and the physician is through a HIPAA compliant patient portal. And I literally can't see it. And I literally can't see people's test results, but I do get a second charge from a physician if there's a positive STI test, because that physician then needs to reach out to that patient and have that conversation. And that has happened extremely rarely, extremely, extremely rarely, like shockingly rare how often somebody actually tests positive uh, for an STI. So I think that people in the lifestyle, this is just anecdotal and, and really a guess based upon the data from one little company doing testing across the country. But it seems to me like people who are in this lifestyle, who do things like listen to podcasts and and listen to podcasts about STI and are being tested multiple times per year because they're so health conscious that those people have a very low rate of contracting STIs. Now, to my personal story, I had been getting tested every six months for years, well over 10 years, never with a symptom. And, and was really quite proud of myself for doing that. I thought I was being very, very progressive and, and, and I was proud of myself for doing that. And then one day I got a text from a woman who said, hey, uh, you gave me gonorrhea. And I was pretty shocked by that because I had gotten a quote unquote complete panel STI exam since I had been with her. And so I told her that and she said, well, were you throat swab tested? And I swear to God, that was the first time I had ever heard that phrase after well over 10 years of being STI tested in urgent care and, you know, buying kits online and family physician and everything else. I had never even heard of that. And I said, well, no, you know, I've not heard about that. And then I went on this odyssey of trying to find a doctor who would actually do a throat swab test. And I'll never forget the first one that I talked to about this. I might as well have been trying to convince him the earth was flat. He basically gave me one of these, you know, I've been practicing medicine for 20 years. I don't even, I've never even heard of that. It was really shocking to me. And I, I, you know, I, I pulled our club members and 93% and of them had not been throat swab tested during their last STI exam. And, you know, I put two and two together, having seen thousands and thousands and thousands of people have sex, all of them having unprotected oral sex, realizing, finding out, reading about how quickly the bacterial infections in particular, like chlamydia and gonorrhea can spread. And I thought, my God, this is the perfect storm. All of these people are having unprotected oral sex. These bacterial infections spread very easily. And virtually no one's being throat swab tested because not even the physicians that they're going to know about it. Now, certainly some do, but I would be really curious to know what percentage of physicians across the country when asked for a complete STI panel are doing throat swab testing, which is the only way to catch these. So that was the thing with me. And I spent the next couple of years trying to get other companies, and I won't name them on here. But if you Google, you know, STI testing, you'll see plenty of companies selling these. None of them offer oral tests. They're all calling themselves complete panels. And of course, the reason is because they can slap gonorrhea and chlamydia on the box. They're doing that through a urine test. Most people don't know the difference. So why would they charge twice as much to have a gonorrhea and chlamydia test for their urine and also one for their throat? They're not going to do that. And I just realized that we had to do it. So you're exactly right, Kate. We have thrown our life savings and, and kind of put everything on hold to try to fix this problem for the lifestyle that we care so much about. Mm -hmm. Wow. First of all, thank you very much for sharing your personal story. Um, I'm going to share one in a second. So you're not alone. 
I won't leave you out there in the ether feeling feeling like you're the only person sharing on this on this podcast episode. I mean, I find it really interesting that this person, this lady, actually brought this forward to you. So curious about, I mean, again, like Dr. Stoll was talking earlier, just being super curious about things. Now I want to know this lady's background. I want to get her history, what's going on, how come she knew about it, <laughs> where she is today, what's happening. But <laughs> I bet you that was a, yeah, a total shock for you. I mean, you would almost re- respond back to this person in, you know, I would imagine almost a visceral way of being like, it couldn't have been me because look how good I am. Here's my 10 years worth of history. <laughs> definitely not like it must have been somebody else lady get out of here you know and, and she's like well i haven't slept with anybody else in six months so and i get tested this is what's up you know i can imagine mm-hmm. uh, wanting to respond in a really visceral way of like it absolutely couldn't be to me because look look at how amazing i am i'm up on this panel you know i'm you know, doing all the right things and i'm you know i get the gold star award and then you know to then find out actually maybe not <laughs> that must have been really shocking <laughs> It, it was shocking um, and even more shocking to just think back at, you know, seeing playrooms at Hito and, and all these places and all of these people enjoying unprotected oral sex and realizing virtually all of them were going to go home and get tested to make sure they didn't contract anything during their fun vacation and probably not ever be tested for the very place that they're most likely to have an infection based upon their sexual practices. So before we wrap up, I'm going to share a personal story because again, I don't want Robert to feel out there on, on, on his own, but I, a little while ago was having one of my standard tests and I also had been feeling a little bit bizarre earlier. And again, Dr. Stower, I should have gone to see somebody straight away. Um, and I actually had BV for the first time in my life. Never had BV before. My girlfriends had had it. I've spoken to people in the lifestyle and said, hey, I think you need to go and get checked for this. But I'd never had it. And so I received my results back. And sure enough, I was uh, positive for BV. And I got to be honest, my my first response to that was one of one of shocked. You know, I was absolutely shocked. And my second response to that was, a, was an emotional one. I was super concerned about it. I felt dirty. I felt ashamed. I felt, quite frankly, I felt freaked out. Even though I knew what BV was, I started going re-researching what BV was, how the hell could I possibly have gotten BV, look at me, I do all the right things, like Robert, I'm getting tested, I'm doing this, I'm using protection and all the rest of it. And, you know, I, I received treatment and I'm, I'm glad I did, but I do still, to this day, I get very, very paranoid and TMI, I often get my husband to like taste me and all of these sorts of things before engaging now, because I now carry this level of, not shame, I guess, but, you know, just like personal personal accountability and responsibility of like, I didn't realize that was happening. I got tested for it. I came positive. And now I want to make sure that when I'm entering the lifestyle, I'm doing it in a very healthy manner, not just for myself, not for my primary partner, but for everybody else out there in the lifestyle as well. So there you go, Robert. That's a little uh, little story from me. Yeah, I, I love the chats about BV. Uh, Robert and I have actually had a, a very long and in-depth conversation about bacterial vaginosis and how and why people in the lifestyle seem to have more trouble with that. And Again, most of the bacteria and fungal infections and whatnot that you can get that cause bacterial vaginosis, bacterial vaginosis is like a garbage can diagnosis. I know that sounds funny, but there's like 30 different things that can cause BV, quote unquote. And those things are all just things that tend to overgrow when your pH is off kilter. And I think that what happens is one person's pH and another person's pH are not always exactly the same. So I may have a little bit more of one bug growing in my vagina. Naturally, it's supposed to be there. It's a natural flora than say you do. But if you and I both have the same male sexual partner and despite using condoms, some amount of vaginal flora gets onto the perineum of a male, we may share each other's vaginal flora for a hot second. And that could be enough for one of us to be like, hey, whoa, that's a little more Prevotella bivia than my vagina is used to. And boom, it overgrows. So sharing bacterial vaginosis type bugs, not technically sexually transmitted infection, but it definitely causes some weird pH issues when we share each other's vaginal flora. Thank you very much for sharing that. And yeah, I think we definitely need to normalize all of that sort of thing because Dr. Stowe, you and I could talk all day about urinary tract infections and everything else and pH balances and things that go wrong and changes in your body when you're all of a sudden playing with all these different people. I'm also bisexual. So there's that element of it. It's a big melting mixing pot of everything that happens when you join the lifestyle. But 
I think for, for today's episode, I think we've pretty much done the best we can. We've tackled uh, erectile dysfunction. We've tackled some conversations about STIs. Again, we've done as much as we can for today's episode, but this is a very broad topic. Please do go and educate yourselves. But for now, I would like to take a moment to thank uh, Dr. Stoa. Thank you so much for joining us and bringing on your medical expertise. We really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. And if anybody's interested, I do have a website that gives a lot of information about alternative sexual lifestyles for patients. It's called swingingsafe.com. And you can get all sorts of information there and a bunch of videos and stuff. Thank you very much. And that will be in the show notes for everyone today. So swingingsafe.com com will absolutely be in the show notes so please do go and check that out for all of the information that dr stoa has collected and of course robert from shameless care thank you for doing the work that you're doing putting yourself out there putting your life savings on the line and trying to make the lifestyle a better place but really ultimately thank you for also sharing your personal story and opening up a little bit about your history in the lifestyle my pleasure and if anybody wants to go to shamelesscare.com click on complete panel you can see what we recommend feel free to screenshot that if you have a great relationship with your doctor and medical insurance and you want want to just basically walk in there with a screenshot of tests to ask your doctor about, that's absolutely fine with me, whatever works for you and helps people. If anybody out there is using another ED subscription service, and I won't name them, but you probably all have them in mind, we're a little bit less expensive than those. And we directly support the lifestyle by sponsoring events all over the country and being on podcasts like this. So we would certainly appreciate your support and switching from one of those guys to us if that works for you. And if you do that, use coupon code Libertine, and then we'll know that uh, that Kate sent you. That's right, because Shameless Care is the sponsor of the Libertine Events Carnival in Miami coming up this October. It is sold out. We are going to have 250 people there who I know are definitely going to be looking after their their lifestyle interests, their primary partner and their partners in the lifestyle. So thank you, Dr. Stoa. Thank you, Robert. All of the links that we've spoken about today are going to be in the show notes. And we're also going to get that guidebook as well directly off the Shameless Care website and have a, have a look through that. So really appreciate all of your time and we'll see you in the next episode. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So thank you again for listening to that episode. Again, that's our first part in our Swingers Lifestyle Health series. I really hope that you got something out of that episode. Please feel free to drop us any emails. I'd be happy to pass them along to Robert at Shameless Care or Dr. Stoa. Check out the show notes for today for the links. If you have any questions directly for them, you can also reach out that way. So we'll be back very, very soon. We're getting our studio set up at our home here. It's kind of crazy. A lot of boxes still in my office, but we're getting it done. We are also off to Croatia at the end of this month for a full island takeover 600 swingers on an island in croatia what could possibly go wrong so stick around we've got lots of fun stuff coming up for you guys and i'm really interested to explore some of what's been happening here uh, in 2023 with us so until next time guys have fun be safe be your sexy creative authentic self and we will see you on the next episode 